This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with a Goat Doc. It's been a little longer than I intended since I have made an episode, and I'm sorry. Life is completely crazy still right now. I've also been wanting to get Devin to sit down with me and uh, do another round of Tales from the Farm. I really, I think I've been writing stuff down that I want to make sure that we talk about. But uh, I can't believe it is January 10th, and we've been in the new house for like a month and a half. Well, not quite a month and a half. But uh, yeah, it's it's going. So thank you for your patience with me as during this period of insanity in my life. Yeah, so it's Friday night. Devin's at pinball. I'm sitting on the couch with the dogs, and... I know how to have fun on a Friday night, so I'm going to talk about pregnancy toxemia. Even dug up my PCAM notes from November of 2012 to get into the physiology of this for you guys. I, t- I got a little geeky about the physiology aspect of this, so um, yeah, I think it's fun. Hopefully it's not too much. Uh, ketosis is an interesting phenomenon. So we're going to talk about that and what it looks like in goats, what to do about it, why it happens, risk factors, and things such as that. If you have any questions about it, please feel free to email me at goatdoccara at gmail.com or you can find the website goatdoc.com and click on the contact tab. I also have on my list to update the website soon, so that will be, it's it's in the back of my head. I got a burst of inspiration this week to uh, be, be taking care of things like that, so... As long as I maintain that and don't get distracted on something else, that should be happening soon. Um, so you can find me on there. You can follow me on Twitter at goat.cara. You can find me on the Instagram at goat underscore doc. And while I've been fairly quiet on there lately, I hope to be getting a little bit more active and back into the routine of regular sharing of goat vet and goat life related stuff in the coming days and weeks. We're going to get into kidding season here pretty soon. So that's always a good opportunity for cute goat kid pictures. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast and you can take a second on your, uh, podcast app, Apple podcasts, or your favorite podcast player to click and rate and review that is much appreciated. And if you'd like to go above and beyond and join the group of super cool, really patient people (laughs) who have decided to be a Patreon supporter and throw a couple of bucks a month at the podcast, that was great. A bunch of people right now that are going to get some shout outs, uh, April Bryant, CKM Ranch, Karen Lisa Brooks, Craig Geis, Megan Frederick. 
Joan, Joan, I'm going to say your last name wrong, Joan Besich, uh, Marge Gray, and Allison Bullock are all new patrons uh, supporting the podcast via patreon.com. So you can find that. I'll make a link on the website when I update it. It is patreon.com slash goat doc. And there's some like thank yous for patrons. And um, I've also been thinking of other things that I would like to do for patrons. I've been looking at ideas, what other creators do um, like doing like a monthly online chat Q and a type thing. Um, I've been thinking about what kind of um, kind of forms and like record keeping stuff I could make for you guys that might be helpful. So started brainstorming there. Um, maybe some videos of how I do certain things. Uh, I was talking with my husband about that and he thinks that that would be helpful too. So we'll, we'll try to get going on that and I will make that stuff available to patrons on Patreon. So you guys that have been patrons thus far, thank you so much for your patience during this period of insanity in my life. Um, and thank you so much for supporting. Um, I think that is all the things to talk about as far as contact and that housekeeping type stuff. So we'll get on with the content and talking about pregnancy toxemia. So pregnancy toxemia, um, I guess sometimes this is in, in sheep, this might be called twin lamb disease. I haven't heard that, uh, locally where like in my geographic area of the world, um, also called pregnancy ketosis or just ketosis in general, um, is a, a metabolic disorder of sheep and goats in late pregnancy, pregnancy typically. So it's a really interesting, like physiologic thing that's happening. And it has to do basically the, the kind of initiating problem with primary pregnancy toxemia is that the doe is in a negative energy balance because she is one animal and she has one rumen, but she is trying to make enough energy for herself and at least one fetus and potentially two or three or four or sometimes five other growing fetuses. So that is a, a, area where it is very, very possible for the doe or the you to be in a negative energy balance. She cannot physically take in enough food to create the amount of energy that is needed for her and her growing babies. So there's things that like, I find pregnancy toxemia super interesting just because like the, if we, <laughs> like I can't even talk about it. Um, because it's like a multifactorial thing, but the thing that is super interesting to me about it is just that like the changing body of that animal as she's pregnant and how she physically can't get enough energy to, to feed herself and her babies. So I talked about in one or both of the rumen episodes, or at least touched on this, that like the abdomen is a finite space. So 
the animal has a limited amount of space in the abdomen and it, you know, so it can stretch a little bit. Sure. Skin can, skin can stretch, but I've got does that like when they are not pregnant, they look just as wide as when they are pregnant. So when there's two babies in there, and a rumen. Obviously, the babies are taking up space that otherwise could be utilized by the rumen. The rumen, as we talked about in the rumen episode, has like surface area on the inside, and that is where the animal primarily gets its energy from, from the production of volatile fatty acids, VFAs. And the rumen has that luxurious shag carpet on the inside, which increases the surface area for those VFAs to get absorbed across the wall of the rumen, which is all lovely and amazing. But then the rumen's ability to mix and uh, contract and mix feed around um, and allow it to contact that, that shag carpet surface, and also just the amount of food that that animal physically can eat is limited when... There's like growing babies taking up its space. The rumen is getting crowded out by the fetuses. Um, yeah. So this is why I start to feed does that maybe haven't been getting grain. I start to feed them grain in late pregnancy because that is a more energy dense way of taking in nutrition than having to eat hay all the time. But yeah, so that's like the physical characteristic of pregnancy toxemia, which just is interesting to me. And like, it just makes sense in my head. Um, so it can happen to any doe in, in late pregnancy. She's at a disadvantage trying to make enough energy for herself and for her babies. And then the other thing that happens is that the energy preferentially goes to supporting the fetuses and not to the dam. Because that is her job is to provide the energy for those animals, for those babies to grow. So this issue, this just physical problem with gestating high multiples of lambs or kids in your abdomen starts and then it only gets worse as the pregnancy progresses. The babies get bigger, the rumen is more crowded, and then like the problem is that the babies are needing more and more energy. Um, there's, where's my numbers here? Um, high multiples in the pregnancy, like exponentially increases the energy requirements that the, the dam needs to take in. So one fetus increases the energy requirements of the dam by 23%. Twins increases the energy requirements by 36% and triplets increase the energy requirements by 42%. So you've got an animal that has a crowded abdomen. It needs to take in almost 50% more feed than it's supposed to. And it like physically can't because it, there's not enough room. Um, each fetus needs 30 to 40 grams of glucose per day. So that is the job of, you know, the bacteria in the rumen to break stuff down to VFAs. And then the body can turn that specifically, mostly the liver can turn that into glucose to be used. Crazy physiology. The body is crazy. Um, it's, it's just... It's like a seesaw. It's like a teeter-totter. You have the rumen on one side, you have the fetuses on the other side, and there's there's a balance there. And it's very 
easy potential to become a problem. Um, yeah, just, you know, think about what you already know about the rumen and think about how squishing that rumen into less space would affect its ability to do its job. Uh, so what happens then? The, the body is, needs more energy. It can't make it because the rumen isn't functioning right and putting out those VFAs as a glucose precursor. And, um, what does the body do when it doesn't get enough calories? It starts to mobilize fat. So, um, fat is like an effective way of storing energy and, uh, different parts of the body can use fat directly. Um, so fat is, oh God, this is like kind of vague in my, in the back of my mind, but, um, fat is stored in fat cells and fat stores on different places of the body, inside the body and outside of the body. And, um, when the energy in that fat is required to be released, it is, um, it's released. Oh, let me look at my notes. I think it's released as triglycerides and then, um, and maybe free fatty acids. And those, some of those, so free fatty acids can be used um, directly as an energy source by the body, by some organs and tissues, um, but important organs such as the brain um, and for the pregnant doe, important things such as the fetus um, can't access those free fatty acids because they're bigger molecules and they do not cross that blood-brain barrier. Uh, the blood brain barrier is good because it protects the brain from lots of stuff, but at the same time, it does the, then you can't get stuff like potential energy sources across the blood brain barrier. The brain needs a lot of energy to function. So the body has to do something else to, um, to give energy to the brain and to the fetus. So the, the free fatty acids cannot cross the placenta as well. Um, and the fetus and the brain are looking for something else that like glucose is the favorite. If it can't get glucose, it's going to be looking for something else. And ketone bodies are a preferential energy source, um, for the fetus and for the brain. It's easier for those tissues and, uh, cells to use ketone bodies as an energy source. Now, so ketone bodies are these really little small molecules. And if you look at like a picture, if you Google like free fatty acid structure, and then you Google ketone body structure, you can see like free fatty acids have all this whole like chain of a tail of carbon and hydrogen. And that's what makes it a fat. Um, and I think there's probably like an OH or something on the end that makes it an acid. And then ketone bodies are just this little tiny thing with a double to an oxygen. And it's a really small molecule in comparison. So that's why it can get to the brain and that's why the brain wants it. It gets there easily and the brain can use it for energy. So what else is happening when this is happening? Um, Fat is mobilized from the body. The liver picks it up and wants to turn it into ketone bodies if it can. Um, 
the other, there's other nice things that ketone bodies do that like slows down mobile mobilization from the, from fat stores. Um, ketone bodies inhibit that, which is good because what happens when this fat gets mobilized is that the liver tries to pick it up and do stuff with it. And so the liver is like, Oh, what can I do with this? I'm trying to make energy. I'm trying to deal with all this fat. But in starvation, if too much fat is mobilized, then the liver's still trying to pick it up. Liver's like, I'm trying to do my job here, guys. Hold on. Um, but the the hepatocytes, the liver cells, are picking it up, keep picking it up. They get overwhelmed by these free fatty acids and triglycerides and hold on to it. And they just can't, and then they can't do anything else. So the presence of those molecules inhibits the function, the other stuff that the liver is supposed to do. So the liver does all kinds of stuff. I couldn't even begin to tell you right now, but it can't do anything else. The liver grossly looks different because of the fat in it. So grossly means like if you had a, an animal that's in a starvation mode, it's meta, uh, mobilizing its fat stores and it's getting into this overwhelmed fatty liver situation. So the fatty liver, like this is sometimes called fatty liver in cows or in cats, it's called hepatic lipidosis. It, it looks, the liver looks fatty. It looks big and like, oh, like swollen, like plumped up and yellow because of the presence of the fat. Um, and the presence of the fat, uh, causes scarring to the liver. So it physically damages the liver and makes it, a, its ability to do its job impaired. The uh, other liver functions start to fail. So then thinking about the physiology of this, um, no glucose, too many fats, too many free fatty acids, too many triglycerides, and um, production of ketone bodies. Ketone bodies. <laughs> so ketone bodies also do this thing where um, they change. They can potentially change the pH of the animal's blood. Like it sounds like a good thing, right? So you've got you don't have enough glucose. Some of the body can use the like uh, fatty acids and get energy directly from that. The brain, which is important, and the fetus, which is also important, can't use fatty acids. So they get, um, they get ketone bodies instead. Great. Right. So that's, that's all well and good, except ketone bodies, when they're out in blood in solution, they act as acids. So that the presence of an acid in blood is going to change the pH of the blood and like it's not by much like blood needs to maintain a very narrow range of pH for it to be functional. So even small changes in the pH of the blood cause the animal to feel really crappy. And, um, ketone bodies act as acids leads to a condition called ketoacidosis. Um, so you can have ketone bodies present and causing the animal to feel crummy. What does this mean for my goat? Um, so we talked talked a lot about different things and physiology here, um, which is was kind of cool and kind of fun, I think. Uh, but so things to think about for your does, um, and I think I said at least once any doe 
can be at risk for pregnancy toxemia. Pregnancy toxemia can be a primary issue. So it can be just because of this whole space in the abdomen thing that I talked about. And the, the doe is having triplets. She's having quads and she just gets to a point where she can't do it. Um, she just physically can't do it. This can be a primary condition. Energy balance needed is more than what she physically can do. Um, so that can be primary pregnancy toxemia. Uh, pregnancy toxemia can be secondary to any other disease. So can it, an animal could be maybe on the verge of being in a ketotic state and, um, or close to it. She could just be in late pregnancy in general and then get sick from something else. She has an, an illness or an injury or something stressful happens and she doesn't want to eat or she has decreased access to feed. And then she goes into, um, a starvation state where she's making ketones. So then pregnancy toxemia can be secondary to something else. Um, these does typically, maybe look a little dumpy, um, off feed, any doe off feed in late pregnancy is at a higher risk for pregnancy toxemia. Um, off feed is the big thing. They should want to eat. They should be hungry mouths. Um, and they should have access to whatever they want pretty much. Um, hay in front of them all the time, as much as they want to eat. Um, I already mentioned, I like to feed my does, start feeding my does grain in the last roughly six weeks of pregnancy. Some of them need more than that. And so paying attention to their body condition score is important so that you're um, aware if they're losing weight. And it's hard to tell just by looking at least like in Maine, it's winter, they're fluffy, and then their abdomen's really big anyway, because it's full of babies. Uh, so you got to put your hands on them and feel what their body condition is like. Um, your ketotic, your pregnancy toxemia dose, dumpy, down, distant, off feed. Um, they may, they may be down, like laying down recumbent. Um, neurologic signs are possible. Uh, so mentally inappropriate, not really responsive appropriately. Um, they can have ataxia, which is like walking like they're drunk. Um, and these are related to that acid, that acid base thing generally. So like they feel really crummy, they feel weak. Um, things start to the, the enzymes and, um, different body functions as if that pH changes cause a problem. Um, and this can pro progress to like a coma and death basically. So if you're concerned about this in your dough, how do you a hundred percent know? Um, there's a couple ways to test for it. Um, one way is to have urine strips, which test for ketones. Um, those are okay. You can get those at like the regular human pharmacy and they're pretty cheap. They come in like a little cylindrical vial and you put them under the pee and you see if it changes color. Those are okay. If you put those under the pee and it changes color, you know what you got, at least partially, you know what you got, what's going on. Uh, the other thing that's available variably, um, is a blood, uh, ketone, measure, which is kind of like, it looks kind of like a human glucometer. So like what, if you are diabetic or you know somebody who's diabetic, it's, that's the thing they use to check their blood glucose. Um, you have a, 
a ketone meter, which can measure ketones in the blood very similarly. It just needs like one drop of blood to do so. The problem with those right now is that there's like one kind available in the United States. And for at least the last couple of years, the strips that you use to test for ketones with that, uh, units are very, very difficult to come by and pretty expensive. So, um, testing blood is better. It's more sensitive. And why that is, is because the body would generally, um, the, the kidneys, so the kidneys are the thing that makes the urine and the kidneys regulate what is let out into the urinary bladder and what's going out is waste. Um, the kidneys hold on to ketone bodies. The kidneys are like, hey, these are things that we want to use for energy. Let's keep them in circulation in blood and not put them out in urine. So um, the if there are ketone bodies in the urine, it means that the kidneys are like, okay, we got a lot of ketone bodies. We don't need this many. Go ahead and pee them out. Um, if you are testing just urine, you have to get to that level where it's like spillover level of ketone bodies. You can detect a smaller number, like a lower level of like ketone bodies in that animal in general by blood than you can by urine. You'll diagnose ketosis earlier by a blood test. Um, yeah, those that are, um, other things to think about for your dose is as far as risk factors or just her body condition in general. Um, so it makes sense that like your thin dough with a thin body condition score may be more predisposed to ketosis, to pregnancy toxemia, because she doesn't have anything in reserve. Um, there is some level of fat mobilization, which is normal, in late pregnancy, but in a normal balance where she's still eating and still able to make some glucose, that's okay. Um, it's, 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 it's normal, but your dough that's thin and she can't, so she doesn't have anything to help her through that late pregnancy. She doesn't have anything in reserve and she isn't eating enough. She's at a disadvantage and she's going to get to that point, um, sooner. Also, interestingly, on the other side of body condition, so your fat does, your overconditioned does, are also like predisposed to pregnancy toxemia. Um, they have more fat that is more ready to mobilize. If the body is like, here's this hormone that's telling you that you need to mobilize fat, and uh, it's like going to put X amount out into the body. If you have a dough that's like a body condition score of like two and a half to three, which is like normal, good body condition, there's like a normal amount of fat to respond to that. If there is extra fat, then like all of that hormone is going to be like, it's going to find fat. It's going to find its thing to tell, to mobilize. And then it's going to very easily mobilize lots of fat, which sounds okay, right? So far, like, well, okay, great. Then you're going to be making more energy. But then we get to that place that we talked about where then your, your limiting factor, your kind of rate limiting factor there is the liver. So the liver is like, 
I can only do so much at once, guys. And then it's, but the liver is this organ that's just going to try to do everything. And it's going to grab all that mobilized fat um, to try to make it into things that the body can use, ketone bodies um, and other things. But as it's grabbing onto all the fat, its cells can get overwhelmed and it gets into that fatty liver place, which just turns it into this like downward spiral of the liver not working and worsening uh, metabolic status. Um, yeah. So again, back to the physiology. Sorry. Super interesting. I think, um, what do you do with these doughs? Um, she, um, if she is off feed, she needs to have, she, that is like the primary thing that you want to try to do. If they're really, really down and dumpy and not eating and like really bad, um, you can call your vet who may want to run fluids with dextrose to give them some sugar and make them feel better. And, um, like you want them to feel better. So they'll eat because eating is important. If you catch them early at home and they're just like, I didn't want to eat my breakfast this morning and I'm due to kid in a week or two, uh, you can start to try to supplement them orally with propylene glycol or Nutridrench. Um, Nutridrench is probably like nicer to, to attempt this with. Propylene glycol probably tastes pretty bad. Um, Nutridrench. Some of my doughs like will stampede me for Nutridrench and I'll have this whole like crowd of doughs just running cause they want it and like putting the whole bottle in their mouth. Um, some does act like they're, I'm poisoning them. So kind of maybe a crapshoot there about what your does are going to like, but, um, the Nutridrench is fine. It's also got uh, propylene glycol in it as a glucose precursor. Got to give them a good amount, at least twice a day, three times a day is better, four times a day, multiple times a day to kind of help try to help them maintain that glucose level. If they need sometimes, you know, depending on how far you want to go, like fluids, IV dextrose, um, sometimes maintaining them on fluids with like a low percentage of dextrose can be helpful. Um, but also like putting in front of her, whatever it is that she wants to eat, um, trying to tempt her with tasty things and, you know, cutting down pine trees outside and raspberry branches and like pretty much if you can put anything in front of her to try to entice her to eat, that is a good idea. If she has a pre secondary pregnancy toxemia, so she has some kind of other primary illness or injury that is causing her to not want to eat and then leading to the uh, ketosis state, got to treat that primary thing too. So got to figure out, uh, does she have some infection going on? Uh, did she have an injury? Is she painful? Is she uncomfortable? What can I do to get her to feel better so she will eat? If you know the due date of your dough um, and it is close enough to induce uh, labor, that is something to consider too. Talk with your vet about it. You really need to be very, very confident about your dough's due date if you are going to induce because uh, kids are very sensitive to 
being born prematurely and um, their lungs will not be fully developed and fully ready to breathe air. And it's really hard to keep them alive if they're not ready to breathe. Um, I would try to not induce a doe much more than five days prior to her known due date. Maybe might get lucky with a week. Um, but those, those premature kids are a lot of work to keep alive. Um, yeah, like 24 hour goat kid ICU. Um, yeah, so we're, I know some people have already started kidding and it's early for me. Our first kids should be coming in late February and, uh, but hopefully this is a, a useful topic to discuss at this time of year. And uh, what other? let me know what other, like, kidding and pregnancy-related topics you'd like me to talk about. You can email me or find me on the, the Instagram or send a message through the website um, and say hi, and we can talk about kidding goats <laughs> it's everybody's favorite time of year my husband loves it we don't get a lot of sleep but goat kids are cute and if we can keep the moms happy and healthy that's always good too so i think i got through all that stuff um I, yeah let me know if you have any questions um and I will try to have more episodes coming with more regularity as we get into 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, and that's going to do it for now. I will talk to you next time.